right, here we are in the Hot Stove Studio in downtown Seattle. Hotel Andra, one of the prettiest hotels in the whole city. Uh, You can come and stay with us and be with us. Like this glorious audience that we have today here on Thursday morning. They are glorious. They're screamers. They applaud. They do everything. uh, Chef Terry and I have turned on our campfire over here so we can stay warm. I'm figuring out the thermostat. (laughs) Well, good. Your last day is the fourth. I'm I'm glad that you're figuring it out now. So that's awesome. We appreciate you. Uh, That is Pamela Hinckley, our producer. Sean is here, our technical director. And Sean DeTore is back in the studio at Cairo. Who does our editing? I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. And uh, I guess I'm the only restaurateur here these days. Yes. Since you have essentially retired. It's nice to watch you from the sideline. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Terry sent me a nice note when it snowed last week in the ice storm. He says, uh, I feel for you, bro. <laughs> no. <laughs> I get nervous when I see snow still. I know. Because I, I, I used to hate. In my house, it was not allowed to. Word. The S word was not allowed. And that was a snow word because I was like. Snow for restaurateur is like hell because we know everybody's going to cancel. You don't know if your employer is going to show up. It's a nightmare. You know, one of the great things about being um, my age and my amount of time in this business is that uh, when I had snow, three, you know, we had snow New Year's Eve uh, three months after we opened mm-hmm. in 89, our mm-hmm. first restaurant, the Dahlia Lounge. And we had 240 reservations that night. And uh, we ended up with about 20 people on the books yeah. after it started to snow. And I had brought in all the food and all that kind of stuff. And it, it about broke us. It about put us out of business. That's yeah. how on the edge we lived every day of course, as a brand new restaurateur. And so I now think about those people more than I think about yeah. myself because we're more established and we can uh, have a bad day and all, all that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. So, but I never does, will forget just those, those days. Just like you just said, those same feelings come back. Unfortunately, the Angst. snow always come when it's time to be, to just get a little bit of money in the coffer for January that usually is slower, and it's really terrible when I they, know. Oh. It's just angst. And, you know, just like Kathy probably, my wife loves the snow. I know. And it just makes me so angry. My wife is like, oh so my God, angry. oh beautiful. I'm like, beautiful, that's a nightmare. That's it's a, a nightmare. Yeah, it makes me so crazy. Um, This is our New Year's Eve edition of the Hot Stove Society radio show. I'm so thrilled to have you all here. Appreciate you. Uh, They're going to get a little tasty breakfast with their ticket this morning. And um, uh, Chef uh, Eamon back there, it looks like he's uh, plating up as we speak. So a little something early to keep you satisfied. Uh, Today, we have lots to do on our show. We're going to make an elegant homemade gravlox. What's the last time you made gravlox, Chef? Uh, it's been a few years. Been a while, huh? Building a, a substantial appetizer party. Why do you want to do that? It's uh, the holidays are over. Now we're on like spa food. Actually, no, no we're not going that no, direction. I, I think not. for New Year's Eve, that's a good idea. Yeah. Okay. Appetizers. Ordinary oh. to extraordinary. Return of a segment that's all about taking something that you would normally make, maybe how mom made it, and then you're going to take it. Another level. Or you'd buy it in a can and put and it in And today pot. it's chili, and my guess is you don't know a darn thing about chili, chef. <laughs> right. I know you, cold, I bet your mom I know, never I made cold, chili. I know what cold is. <laughs> <laughs> Tasting panel. We have some olive oil to taste today. Michael Poland's going to join us in spirit on the show today, eating mindfully. Uh, delicious sparkling wines. And, of course, we're going to play our trivia challenge to, to wrap up the year uh, let's talk our taste of the week. Chef, uh, have you had anything delicious this week, uh, either in your own home, which is always delicious, we know, or... Uh, well, I try uh, not to make 
on the road somewhere. No, I had a, I'm, I'm going to talk about a soup, a squash or butternut or a pumpkin soup, any of the three. Uh, I happen to mix a, um, a squash and a, a pumpkin together with caramelized onion, but I roasted the whole thing in the oven, including the onions, and um, spi- uh, sprinkled some uh, cumin, turmeric, and uh, gra- uh, ground ginger. Mm-hmm. And that was really, really delicious. I used... Um, Almond, wa- almond milk and coconut water. Whoa. And I put the whole thing together <laughs> and mix and uh, pureed the whole thing up. And it was... The almond. It was, it what, was why just... Why did you do the almond milk? Well, just for flavor. And, and I just like that flavor. And also, I didn't want to put any dairy in it. So I just used that. So I just, I was, uh, you look like you. You don't seem, you <laughs> don't seem like, particularly. I just, I just Tom, Tom Douglas. <laughs> I'm just waiting for you to like wrap this up and like Speechless. tell us why and, it's delicious. And you know and what you the garnish was, like, was of that? I it don't. was a uh, herbed cream cheese. I took some uh, creamy goat cheese mm-hmm. and then put a bunch of fresh herbs in it, parsley, a uh, little fresh thyme, all chopped up. Mm-hmm. Put that in there. It went really well together. I'm just all saying. Right. Sounds fantastic, chef. And, and I don't, I don't want to say it was delicious because I made it. So I'm, of course, you don't want to pack. It was just not crappy. Back. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've been uh, the last few years at Christmas. I've been picking some of my friends that are in the food to go business uh-huh. and sending boxes to my nieces and nephews around the country. And this year, I picked the Zingerman's out of uh-huh. Ann Arbor, Michigan. Beautiful. Place. I know Ari for many, many years, maybe thirty some years, and uh, I sent pastrami kits to my nieces and nephews and uh so it comes with a loaf of rye bread that they make some bags of zingerman's chips uh coleslaw uh half sour pickles and a couple of pounds of pastrami that was your gift last year i sent six different pound packages of bacon so I'm, I'm anxious to see this year what the response is compared next year you're going to send broccoli and uh turnips compared to or the something? bacon I mean- no no probably not but uh, it is uh, – so I always send myself a box, too, so I can kind of see, <laughs> see how it is. That's a very good idea. Yeah, so I can see how it is. And it was uh, really darn delicious. And it was so fun to open a box and have a complete meal. I mean, I never do those right. Hello Fresh Boxes. or any of that kind of the Blue Apron stuff. I, I never do anything like right. that. So it was kind of fun. That sounds yeah. like fun. It's like a party in a box. Right. So. And uh, that's a great idea if you don't want to cook during the Well, holiday. I do want to cook, but it was just like a little present thing. Cool. It was a little surprise. Yeah. Because you forget. You order it a month in advance, and you have it delivered right before Christmas. And you, sure. f- you forget it's coming, and boom, next thing you know, Good move, party Douglas. in a box. All right. When we come back, we're going to – I still can't get over your soup. You were just so nonplussed about the whole thing. It I didn't know. Seem it was like so your, delicious. If that was your only taste of the week, it didn't seem like it was all that. Oh, I had a great week. I didn't want to go oh, through all okay. the taste. Oh, okay. All right. I was a little concerned for your week. It's a holiday week, big week. It was only the first time. To have a little bit of soup with almond milk. (laughs) Let's make our own grab box when we come back on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove (laughs) Society Show, 97.3 FM. Keep it in your pantry. 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 There might be a few people talking bad about me when they see that I All right, we're back. It's the hot stove. Breakfast is coming out fast and furious. When you do get a ticket at hotstovesociety.com, you do get breakfast and coffee, and we might even give you a sip of water while you're here. 
Uh, Chef, let's make some Gravlox. Uh huh. I think it's kind of fun to, you know, have these things that you can make and that will last in the fridge for at least a week. Oh, yeah. Uh, once it's cured. So let's start the process and go all the way through it. We have seven well, minutes. My first inclination is to call. Um, what is Gravlox? Well, Gravlox is a cured salmon. It's not, it's not smoked, it's not cooked, it's just cured by salt and sugar. Mm-hmm. And spices and herbs. And, mm-hmm. But the, what cooks it is the salt, obviously. And what it does is it extracts the water, which allows for the salmon to have a longer conservation. Because the water helps the salmon deteriorate if it, nothing is done to it. And what I would do is first is called Eva's Wild. Uh-huh. And I get my salmon delivered from... So you, you're okay using a frozen sockeye filet. We're Absolutely. Gonna st- that's what we're going to start with. Yeah. Skin on. Skin on. And uh, bone out. Okay. Pin bone and out, pin right? Pin bone out, yeah. And, and obviously it's a, it's a filet. So, right. It's a whole filet. you do have to make sure the pin bones are out. Correct. Yeah. Just make sure all the bones are out. That's important because uh, you, it's really hard to take the pin bone out of a, smoke, out of a cured salmon. Especially because you're going to see it's going to be pressed. So your salmon is going to be compressed, basically. So you don't want to... You want to take the bones out first. Got it. How do you make a Gravlox? Well, you start with salt and sugar, usually. Let's, let's start with a pan. Let's start with a pan. A sheet pan, which has depth okay. to it. So it's a cookie be, sheet with a rim. Correct. Cookie yeah. sheet with a rim, because there's going to be some rendering happening of water, liquids. So you want to make sure you're not putting it in a flat pan with no sides. Otherwise, your refrigerator is going to look like a bathtub. You put a, peach, a piece of uh, parchment down, because to me, the salt and the sugar kind of, if, you've, if your cookie sheet is aluminum, it kind of mars the pan a little bit. Except you have skin on, so you don't have to. Yeah, but it goes, but you it can, overflows. But you can. Yeah, okay. You can. Yes, a recommendation. Parchment paper does not hurt anything, so yes. Put a piece of parchment paper on the floor. Put your salmon in there, your salmon filet, skin down. Skin down means skin in contact with the parchment paper. So now you have the flesh showing the beautiful uh, coho from... Um, Sakai. Sakai, pardon me. I, just, I do that every time. Sakai from Bristol Bay. It's going to be beautiful fish. And you just make your mixture. So your mixture is usually about 60% salt and 40% sugar. That's the base. Uh-huh. So if you do, uh, for example, if you do two cups... What is that? Two cups of sugar, one cup of salt? No, that's two salt, one sugar from what you just said. No, 60, no, you said uh, two salt. Yeah, salt. yeah, two salt, one sugar. Yes, not the other way around. Otherwise, you're gonna have. Uh, it's not gonna be. And so, for a two-pound fillet, which is about the size of a, a Bristol Bay sockeye right. side, right. Uh, you're looking at. I think you could probably get away with one cup of salt mm. and a half a cup of sugar. You want it mounded, right? I want to make sure it's totally covered. It needs to be totally covered, okay. mainly because you want every piece to cure. You don't want to have. Some of the salmon cured and some of it showing mm-hmm. and not cured. So it's important. It's really well covered. And uh, what's important after that is the flavor you want to bring to your salmon. So what I like to do is to take some fresh dill or fresh fennel, if you can find fennel frond and everything, and fresh thyme. That's my favorite herb, as you all know that by now. You take the leaves of the you, – you skim the, the thyme off the stem – and you put all that together, and you put that fresh on your salmon, and then you put your cue on top of that. And in, uh, in the herbs, I also put a couple of star anise. I put um, coriander toasted, then I crushed, and then I put, put it into my herbs. And then on top of it, I finish with the salt and sugar mixture, well mixed together, put that on top of it, and that's what I, could, I keep to just seal the whole thing up. Mm-hmm. 
And then I put. So you shouldn't see any red flesh when you're done. No, you should not see any meat. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Then I put some weights on that. So on top of that, I put another sheet pan or you know upside down sheet pan. So one as the side up, the other one as the side down, and I put a weight on that, like a can of tomato, a number ten can. Whatever, whatever you can find. A couple cans of uh, tomatoes. I would say about five pounds of weight on top of that. And then I'll put it in the refrigerator or in the coldest place in your house. No, the refrigerator, please. Make some room. It takes about, this kind of process takes, for me, it takes about 24 hours to just, even between 18 and 30 hours of processing. You leave it in there, then you take everything out. You remove the salmon from all the melting sugar and salt and herbs. And then I rinse off gently with very cold water, rinse off gently my salmon, and then I pat it super dry. And I put my salmon away, and I cryovac it, cut it in portions usually, and cryovac it, which means I put it in a bag and suck the air out. So now I've got four beautiful pieces of Gravlox in my refrigerator, cryovac. The cryovac parts, if you can have a vacuum seal uh, piece, is very helpful because it makes your salmon. Your salmon will be in your refrigerator for up to two months. All right. Can I go back? Yeah. Let's go back. Yeah. We've, we've pressed our salmon. Yeah. Uh, it's 24 hours, we're going to say. Right. Uh, if you leave it on longer, it's going to get drier. Correct. Right? The salt and sugar will just suck the moisture out of the fish. Right. If you leave it on shorter, it has a shorter shelf span, but you can still eat it. Correct. Right? right. So if you like a little softer Gravlox. Right. Let's go back to where you took the sugar and the salt off. Okay. And then you rinsed with water. Now, we just tried to get rid of, tried to get rid of all the water out of the fish because it, it degrades the fish. Right. So, what do you, so are you telling me you pick the herbs off too? Yes. I, pick See, I never do that. I pick everything off the salmon and I gently rinse it off. And when I say rinse it off, I don't mean you take your salmon and put it in the bath of water. I mean you take water to the salmon and just rinse it off. And what I'm trying to do there is to try to get rid of the excess salt that's on top. There's a pellicle of salt on top that's a little bit um, intense than I don't really like for Gravlox. And it's the only reason I do that is I rinse it off. Usually, when I used to do it at the restaurant, I used to do it with a brush. Take cold That's water what I would do, yeah. And then brush the top of my salmon. Because yes. when you slice the salmon, eventually, for your piece of rye toast or for your bagel or for whatever it is you're putting it with, your salt rim on the outside of the fish is really a small part of right. the flavor profile. So you just have to take a few slices and see if it tastes too salty. Right. That's what I would do before I rinsed. Right. Because rinsing is not a good thing as far as right. you the take... shelf life of the fish. Correct. And the other thing we used to do in a restaurant is always hang. After you clear up your, your um, you brush your salmon, we used to always leave it in the refrigerator where we have fans. And we always leave an overnight. So right away, a pellicule gets... A pellicule means uh, like a thin layer gets formed onto your salmon on top of what's already there. That really, really helps basically closing the salmon. Mm -hmm. So it's really helpful to have that also if you can. Now, so many people at home have Traegers, right? They have these smoker boxes now. If you were to do the same process with a wet brine, the same salt sugar brine, maybe brown sugar instead of white sugar, whatever, and then cure it for that same 24 hours, although you can do it much less if you're hot smoking, then you put that in the fridge. You take the brine off, right? You put it in the fridge and let that, that, that same uh, crust happen on the fish. And then you hot smoke it in your Traeger. Right, right, right. That's the difference between 
grav locks Correct. and, and smoke. smoked or right. locks, right. right? And I've done the salmon the way I just did it. And before you brine it, you put it in a cold smoke. So you take smoke or you take a smoker that's basically turned off after you burn the smoke and that's cooled off. And then you put your raw salmon in there for just a few hours and it will bring a little smell of smoke and a hint of smoke into your gravlocks. And then you make your gravlocks with that. And that stays in the salmon. And that's a gravlocks that's slightly smoked. You can, yeah. you know, not as intense as smoked salmon. So I have, uh, depending on what I'm doing, I almost always prefer a smoked locks over a gravlocks. But I love them both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's make some appetizers. When we come back, it's time for a big, friendly, crowd-filled appetizer party on Cairo. Hot Stove Society Show 97.3. Oh, the oyster passes time serving nature's grand design without a second thought about his fate. He consumes the briny blue, purifies it through and through until he's plump enough to grace a dinner plate. Oh, it's time to make some canapes, horse d'oeuvres. Canapes? Horse d'oeuvres. Oh, my God. Hors d'oeuvres. Canapes. I want canapes. Where, where, a what balanced. What language is canapé? Uh, a balanced uh, menu from you guys of what the perfect appetizer spread would be. And don't forget to include banya cauda. Okay, My name is Tom Douglas. I'm not sure who that was who's talking on the microphone, but uh, she's pretty bossy this morning. My name is Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rodger, the chef in the hat. Pamela would like us to cook for her some a, a fancy appetizer party, chef. Yes. And she doesn't want us to forget the banya calda. Right. Okay? How do you That's make what your, I took from that Pam, translation. how do you make your banya calda? So much butter, equal parts olive oil, tons of garlic, stir in anchovy paste. Yeah, that's funny. I've never used butter in my life in Banya Calda. So. I know. Why, why do you put butter in there? Because it's so delicious, the combination. <laughs> okay. It's always there what I go. say when somebody says, why do you put butter in there? I'm like, because it's good. Yeah. Okay, Chef, uh, Pam wants a dream menu for a thanks or for a New Year's Eve party, even though people that are listening to this we'll are be probably celebrating <laughs> as they party. listen. Yeah, so they can think about this for next year, maybe. Um, so the first thing that comes to mind... And we mind, want to balance, right? Because this is balance. dinner. It's dinner. This is like heavy apps, dinners. You're not expecting to sit down afterwards. It's dinner. Yeah. Yeah. So I would start with definitely being in the Pacific Northwest. I would start with oysters on the half shell, on ice. I shucked 15 dozen last night for a group down in Seatown. Well, you don't need that much unless you invite <laughs> that many people. Oysters on the half shell, caviar on toast with a little bit of hot boiled egg um, on the... Uh, that's my. That you asked I me. I know. Uh, did I say anything? Okay. You. Yes. You're shaking your head. Well, uh, that's. Uh, we're on the radio, chef. Nobody knows that. Well, we're live on YouTube in case you <laughs> forgot. I'm going to starve to death by the time you make a few apps. Oh yeah, caviar, oysters, and then the gravlax that we talked about earlier. I think that's a must. Pointed toast, fresh butter on the table, necessary for anybody who wants some, with a with a big knife in there. I think that's how I want to start. That's and how a you bottle of start. champagne, of course. Pamela made me bring uh, caviar to her Christmas Eve party that she throws every year. I heard. And uh, we had a disagreement about the vehicle for which it was placed. She wanted toast points. I wanted buckwheat blini. Of course. Who doesn't? So we each made our own. <laughs> Who and, won? 
Well, the kids ate all the toast points. And once the toast points were gone, the kids ate all the pancakes, but none of them had caviar. <laughs> Thank goodness. We didn't really want to share the we caviar. We didn't want the caviar to be shared, no. So uh, th- that is a delicious start. Uh, on the blini, I would use butter in- compared to the bagna calda. Uh, do you at least use clarified butter on the bagna calda? It's like, you should, but I don't. You know, it, it sets up so fast. That's <laughs> yeah. what I was concerned. You have to put it on under a candle. Yeah, yeah, I used my fondue pot for my crab this year at Christmas mm-hmm. for the butter, the lemon butter crab. Anyway... Love that. I would do king crab sections with my, like, considering it's dinner, right? Heavier seafood. You stopped me before I was done, so I'm, I'm going to go, well, yes. We're both, we're both making this show. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So, I didn't realize you were cooking, too. Yeah, exactly. We're cooking for Pamela. Oh, excuse me. That's right. So I'm going to go vegetarian while you're taking a break. No, I'm just kidding. Go, ahead. go for go it. Go ahead, Tom. No, I was, I was going to say, you know, it's always nice to have little shooters of soup. You know, like a, like a nice butternut squash soup or something. It's a nice shooter. For, I like the shooter idea. Yeah. I've done that for many years for parties or whatever. It's a great, you know, it's a great little thing. You put a little dollop of creme fraiche or a little dollop of fresh uh, goat cheese on top. And people just take a shot of that. And it's really delicious. And um, you can do also a bean spread. You know, you start with some wonderful beans, cooked stew. And then you mix it with all kinds of different things you want to mix it with. Flavor, chili, whatever you want to make, in it, make put into and on toast, it's really delicious. You could put some anchovies on top if it's not vegetarian. <laughs> or you could put some other things if you want to. Lovely. We had an incredible soup on Christmas. It was from an old Trader Vic's recipe, bongo bongo soup, that was uh, pureed spinach and oysters with half and half. Sounds completely disgusting, it I sure think. It sure does. But it was delicious. Even the kids drank it, and it, we served it in little Of course, cups. you didn't tell them what it was. No. No, but it's only and spinach. Did you like it, Tom? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very convincing yes. <laughs> Most of the articles about appetizer parties have some central bread and cheese heated, like pretzel rings. There are mm. so many. This year, there were so many like braided doughs that had a, a melty cheese or some combination. <clears throat> Of cheese and bacon, blah blah blah, and it, and meant to be a pull apart, you know, so you could uh, get some of the center and have the nice crunchy bits. I've never made anything like that, but well, that's one of the one of the great things about you know we build these beautiful things called facettis over at the Dahlia Bakery, mm-hmm. yeah, and they ha- are inclusive of all the different ingredients. It's not really pizza. But it's like a pizza bread in a funny way, and they're fantastic. Yeah, they're fantastic. But burnt lemon or a uh, candied orange or olive and right. herb or tapenade is always something I tapenade. have <clears throat> as yeah. a in my sleeve as a last minute resort. I'm always like yeah. always have tapenade, ground olive or chopped olives, and you can add orange, you can add confit lemon, you can you can spiff it up as you want to. You can put anchovies in in tapenade. That's also delicious. Well, we've got bagna calda. We got soup with anchovies, tapenade with anchovies, and bagna calda. <laughs> it's anchovy days. Oh, we've got a theme we, here. Somebody's it's going like to Portugal. So another important Someone's thing about an appetizer party like this is, is people generally are standing, right. and they generally have a glass of wine or a cocktail in their hand, and so you have to have finger food, right? right? Which is important. That's why which I is, loved your shot glass idea right. on the soup. Right. It's just uh, that's something you yeah, can just that's not hold a glass of wine, drink your soup, and put it down. It is very important to remember the size of your appetizer or your mm-hmm. whatever you're doing. 
Remember, people have one glass in one hand. If you do something with more than one or two bites, it's on the floor. Nobody's going to touch it. That's the other problem that you see in big parties. You go, and the caterer brought this cool appetizer or whatever that is, but it's this big, and nobody can touch it. Well, it's, it's a couple of bites, and if it happens to break off, yeah. you've got no, no way to kind of handle it, and it's, it's stupid. You it's, have an olive tapenade on a cracker. I've seen that before. A two-bite cracker, And yeah. it's like this big, and you're like, there's no way I'm touching this. This is going to be all over the floor, right? Yeah. Very important to think about the size. So one of my favorite little appetizers, especially when it's a dinner app or a large app thing, is... Uh, Popsicle lamb chops. Mm. And I just love uh, putting a little foil around the bone, giving them a hard sear. Yes. Uh, and then it's something that you can eat, you know, without, sure. without any trouble w- with a glass of wine in your hand. So. Yeah, and a nice little uh, something dipping sauce on top. Or? Yeah, you know, when I make them, I usually use one of my rubs. <laughs> so I'll use the mushroom rub or something or a fresh. It's flavorful enough. A little sumac, which is real lemon citrus, you know, kind of right. herb and... You can put an aioli or something on top, but again, you've got drippage, right? And you got to be careful. I, would, I wasn't. Yeah, I was thinking more like a like a ground yogurt. You know, when you make you just don't need it. No, you don't need it, but yeah. it's 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 difficult in a cocktail situation right. to have a sauce on right. that. Yeah, agreed with you, one hundred percent. What else do you make? What other so lamb chop is one good idea. Lamb chop, uh, you know, the whole roasted vegetable thing works pretty well with a right. with a pick. So if you're using cauliflower. Um, Florets, where they're all roasted and easy, and they're the right, you know, bite size with a little bamboo pick in them. Then you can do any sort of dressing on those. Probably anchovy dressing would be good since <laughs> anchovies go. are theme. No, you know, but like a little caper yeah. uh, dressing yeah. with uh, preserved lemon and capers or something like that on top of the cauliflower. But then it's dressed. It's not a dip to where it's like hanging on the top. Correct. It's completely dressed like a mm-hmm. vinaigrette. So um, I'm a big fan of quiches, as you know, being so French. Um, You're French? No, I've been so French. I always thought you were putting this on. Yeah. Wisconsin accent gets me every day. Anyway, quiches are a great uh, vessel for parties because you can add anything to it. You can make it vegetarian. You can make it crustless. You know, don't put it, if you don't feel like making dough or making the dough or somebody's gluten allergy, you just remove the crust and put it in a Pyrex pan that's buttered and you put your whole um, batter in there and you can add anything you want, you know, roasted vegetable. You could do broccoli, you could do parsnips, you could do all kinds of different things. Put that in there and bake it, and you have this wonderful vegetarian quiche on your hand. You know, crapple, you can do cheese, all kinds of cheese in there. You can do bacon if you don't get vegetarian. So you can do all kinds of different quiches, mm-hmm. and that's a nice little move. Lovely. Well, Pam, are you satisfied, or do yes, you want I more? Want, yeah, I want to go to the lamb chop party. <laughs> Our vegetarian queen wants to go to the lamb chop party. I love that. I love those What's it take to take chili to the next level? That's going to be a question for us when we come back here on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Garlic and tomato, ground beef, black pepper, and a green jalapeno. A little bit of cumin and one more. It's Tom Douglas and Terry Rotaro. And we, we are going to take chili up a notch. We've already invited one of our guests in the audience, Nick, to uh, 
who says he's a chili god. He saw my he saw my gravy god necklace that Lars made for me, and now Nick yeah. is a chili god. Yeah, no, um, I like that necklace. Well, uh, I know <laughs> some college football teams are doing that. You know, if someone had a like a turnover. It was like the turnover chain. Yeah, for Miami, yeah, Miami I think. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's inspiration. No, it's, that's, that's, it's, that's awesome. Um, it is not my usual style. I no. will tell you that. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's yeah. nice. It, yeah. You know, have the lights. It fits you well. Though. But I'm going to wear it tomorrow night. Uh, tomorrow night at the big party. Tomorrow night. Yeah. Okay, so uh, so Nick, tell us about your chili. Yeah, so with my chili, what I start with, I um, I kind of roast and fry my tomato paste mm-hmm. and all my uh, and all my herbs and all like all my dry spice. Uh, let all that oil just kind of just slowly, you know, cook at what the bottom of, of the pan. I do like canola oil. Okay. Yeah, you know, high smoke point, so uh-huh. it just could uh, just fry. Uh, I add my garlic. I add all my mirepoix in there. Uh, you add the beans. You add everything else, but. With my meat, I was doing sweetbreads. So I was putting sweetbreads in my chili. So, you know, I would have, you know, the beans and the ground beef, whatever. But, you know, I think sweetbreads would take it up a notch. And you just do it at the end? Yeah, so I I poach the sweetbreads. So I do, you know, I do the the cuisson, right? And I poach it in the the, uh, very acidic water, salty water, press it, and then uh, take the membrane off. Mm -hmm. And then just press, and after I press it, take the membrane off, just throw it in the chili. So it's already cooked. Right. Throw it in the end, so it doesn't like fall apart. So, right. what do you right. use for the chili part? Chili part. Are you using any chilies or not? Are you using yeah. any chili paste? Yeah, chili paste. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. And what kind paste, of beans do you powder. use? I use black beans. Okay. Yeah. Oh wow. I sometimes use garbanzo beans as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, just to make it different. See, I would right. use black bean too. I think it's a good. That is a tremendous idea. I love yeah. them so much yeah. more. And so, for our listeners who don't know, sweetbreads is the thymus gland of a steer, and it is uh, considered a delicacy in many cuisines, especially it's, French. Right. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a delicacy. It's something you. It's kind of like Jack in the Box. You have to be raised with it. <laughs> <laughs> As in, I don't have any, any. Desire to go to Jack in the Box because I wasn't raised with it. That doesn't mean anything to me. Okay, but I like sweetbreads. Nice, you know, nice transition, too. chef. No, of yeah, course, sweetbreads are awesome. They're like one of my favorite things to yeah. cook. Yeah, I've done for years crispy sweetbreads where you take the same principle of poaching them right. and then you press them, skin them, or take the membrane off, and then you break them down, and then you take brown butter and you just do sweetbread in brown butter with just a little bit of caper. Very simple, chopped parsley, and you put that on the plate. Mm. So do you use we went from So chili. what's our chili? What's that our, goes what's on top of your chili, oh, okay, Tom. Good. That's where I was going with this. Thank you, Nick. No, thank you. For sharing your thoughts yeah. on... No, and you guys are talking about the bon That's I've never heard it with butter. I, I like bon a lot, too. I've never heard the, the, the butter... But that's awesome. That's a good idea. Yeah. But to, to, to clarify, yeah. So I, love it. I learned something today. It's, to do it's that. never a bad idea to put butter anywhere. Right. In Piedmonte is butter. Okay. okay. Uh, so uh, for my chili, to take it up a notch, I actually use guajillo or uh, ancho chilies dried. Uh-huh. I toast them over the open flame and then uh, rehydrate them with uh, orange juice, something of that nature. So now I have a, like a little chili paste. I cook my meat like you would any sort of braised meat. Sure. Uh, chunks, brown it off. And then I have this beautiful chili paste to kind of cook it in. Beans or no beans, that's up to you. I have a chili in the marketplace. What do you mean no beans? I, I don't particularly beans. love beans in my chili. But yeah. in, a, in the I marketplace, like if you were to go to Costco right now, you'll see a bison and black bean chili that I developed for my, uh, the company that I'm uh, invested in called Rome Free right. Bison Chili, and I just saw it up at the Aurora Costco, and it's a uh, bison and black bean chili. Right. 
but sometimes in this in the scenario, it's about what you can afford, right? Right. So if you bison's very expensive, so if you want to get to a price point where you can afford it in the marketplace, you have to cut it with something. Sure. And so you, uh, beans are a good way to cut right uh, chili. But if you go, it's like when you see on a menu Colorado chili or something like that. It's almost always bean free. It's just kind of the braised meat in chili sauce. So garnish to that is what? Well, see, that's a that's a big question for me. If I were to garnish, you know, a lot of people like raw onion and cheese on top of it. It's just not my thing. I love a big dollop of a really limey, salty guacamole on yeah. top. You know, Ooh, sounds good. Yeah. Just just uh, on a hot limey, chili, limey, salty, limey, salty. But if the chili has a little kick to it, then that ni- nice, cool avocado uh, guac on top. Yeah, is grill, my... I was thinking grilled bread, like a good country. Cornbread is perfect with Corn it. Cornbread would yeah. be good, yeah. If you were to make a chili, chef, what would you do? I would. You Have you ever what? made chili? You know, Nick had the great idea of roasting the tomato. I would mm-hmm. slightly smoke the tomato first, mm-hmm. then I would roast them because I like the idea of the roasting. I think roasting yeah, is, that's a is brilliant start. Roasting when you make a stew that has, you know, a lot of stew that are of uh, tradition are very basic in terms of the process of the few items that goes in there at the beginning. And if you add just one little step of roasting or smoking, you not take this thing a whole notch from mm-hmm. ordinary to extraordinary because you include a flavor that's really um, something you're actually liking. Into it's kind of natural with it, too. I right. Think. It's yeah. very natural to have smoke into the chili. So, um, you know, you're using ancho chili that have been smoked and, and uh, toasted. And I think that's also another flavor that's really key ingredient in there. Does anyone make a, Nick, have you ever made a, like a green chili, a tomatillo-based chili? Yeah. Uh, is it different in your mind than, say, a uh, Mexican, like, pork verde or something like that, where they're just basically braising pork butt in uh, tomatillo I mean, yeah, and no, pepper it's, sauce? It's, it's the same. Yeah. You know, it's nothing different, because you're still doing the same technique of just, right, combination cooking, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just braising, searing, letting this just cook in the, in the verde or in the chili, so I don't see nothing different. It's just more so like what you put in it, right? Yeah. Right. So verde, you're just having it as a verde, but the chili, you're adding maybe beans, you're adding um, corn, mm-hmm. you know, so I think that's the only difference. Right. So I must ask, and, where and do you cook? I uh, got a couple jobs going, but my main job is I'm, I'm a chef in Alaska, so it's my, my Alaskan family hey. over here. Hey. That's Eli, that's Mandy. Uh, Sham and uh, Neil. So, yeah, we're Welcome, just over here hanging out. Family. Uh, I cook up there. I've been a large chef up there for some time. And on uh, my off season, I cook down at Stanford. So, I'm a uh, sortie chef down at Stanford. So, so you migrate to California during the winter? Is that what yeah, no, but I'm based in California. So oh, I, you are yeah, based in California. So, I go back to, yeah, in the wintertime. Yeah. So, I Very get to cool. skip all the snow. So, yeah. Pamela, I'm going to ask you, since you're the hippie goddess of our environment... Yes. You used to run a vegetarian restaurant. You must have served a vegetarian chili at some point. Was it yeah, always it, garbanzo based? It, it was. <laughs> it was barley and beans. Oh. <laughs> it was <So>. terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You know what? You can barley make and what beans? I'm sure yeah, you could small make white. A the great <laughs> What was the What was the binder like? It was. A, it was tomato based. A tomato based, and it had a cinnamon. Oh, what was the chili? Cinnamon it's called chili it. for a reason. Chil- just red chili flakes. It, it was not something I'm proud of. <laughs> no, I mean until you. Put I would the, do it completely Until you put the meat now. in the beans, to me, it's a chili. It's vegetarian in the first place, so it's really easy to make a vegetarian chili and to make it good. Mm. Just use all the process we just talked about. Just don't add the meat, you yeah. know, and you'll have a wonderful. 
Binchile on your end. Well, this was before I had learned so much from you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, people don't know this about Pamela, but she used to run a restaurant in her early 20s, right? Yep. Uh, in, in romantic Willamette? No, Hartford. Hartford, Connecticut. So, yep. see, a lot of people don't know that about her. Yeah. Nick, thanks for your time. Thanks, guys. Nick, yeah. thank you so much and good experience. luck. Up next is our olive oil tasting, right? Yes, please. Yeah. yeah. All right, cool. When we come back, we're going to taste some three different olive oils and determine which one is the best to buy for the dollars. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3. But don't you put no beans in my chili. Don't you put no beans in my chili. If you put beans in my chili, you don't know beans about making chili. It's the Hot Stove Kitchen on Cairo Radio. We've got a big second hour for you. Lots to do. We're going to start off with an olive oil tasting. We have guidance from Michael Pollan on intentional eating. Uh, The wide range of prices for delicious sparkling wine. And, of course, we're going to wrap up the hour with our Rub With Love Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge. Okay, olive oil. Pamela, what's your thought here? I know you tried to tell us in the break, but it was good radio. I had to stop you. At this time of year, there is a lot of excitement at the specialty food stores about the fresh olive oil, the first harvest of the season. So, um, you know, I used to work at De Laurentiis, and I keep my eye on their um, website, and they said... That was 50 years ago. (laughs) I'm still fond in my heart. (laughs) She's not that Um, old yet. So they had a special segment on the oils that have arrived, and the price points have gone up significantly. So I wanted us to taste our everyday oil, which is a blend that we get from Merlino's. It's three liters for um, $28.50, as opposed to the two that we're um, tasting it again. So we can think about... No, wait, hold on, because that's wholesale. That's wholesale. Okay, yeah. yeah, that's a little bit of a cheating price. Yeah, but it's still the difference say is 40 dramatic. Bucks retail. 40 yeah, bucks at least retail 40 for bucks three retail, liters. Yeah. For three liters. And, and now in these small bottles, we're tasting it against um, a Fiore Novello for $59 a bottle, like a 12-ounce bottle, and the La Noche is $39 a bottle. So uh, unfortunately for the people who are not in the room... They can't do the tasting with us, but I'm glad our audience is here to give us some feedback on um, their preferences and then how they would use them. Okay, so why don't you start us through the tasting, Pam, because people at home um, need to taste along, or they don't need to taste along with us, but they need to hear about the oils. So what's the first one? The Merlino blend. Mm -hmm. This is our base oil that we use. It's a golden oil. Golden oil, and it's also... Mixed origins. That's another difference with the Nuvellos. They're from. They're usually from dedicated olive vineyards. Individual I- individual grows. Right. Yeah. Often uh, from winery properties. Right. Where they're also cultivating grapes. Right. So. So when you say mixed origin, so on a much bulk olive oil, it it could be Greek, Spanish, 
um, Tunisian, yeah. Moroccan. It could be all sorts of different ones that are blended all together. Yeah, the biggest number of olive oil, the, the most olive oil does not come from Italy, as we would imagine, but rather from Spain, Northern Africa, uh, Morocco, Tunisia, like Tom mm-hmm. said. Uh, that's where the biggest bulk of olive oil comes from. Does and not come from Italy. Yeah, there's good growing conditions. But they have a technique where they can bring that oil to Italy and brand it as Italian olive oil, and that's, you know, a little bit of a murky area for, for the consumer. Okay, so what did you get out of the Merlino oil? Like a typical. This is like when you're going to the grocery store. This would be like a Colavita or a any of those kind of court brands of olive oil. Mm-hmm. I like the finish in it and the texture. It's got some real uh, structure spicy. to it, some nice spice to it. Very spicy at the end. Yep. Nice, nice okay. little bite. And what's our next one? The next one is the Poggio La Noche. It's cold-pressed. Um, it's Tuscan, and it, they say on the label it's cultivated and pressed directly at the estate within hours of processing and the difference with the novellos is they're also never uh, filtered. So, and is this considered a novello? Yes. This so doesn't do a lot for me. They've got the uh, production year on it, which mm-hmm. is what you would be looking for because it's not branded on the label. So this is uh, 38 bucks for a pint or so, 16 ounce, 16.7 ounces. Uh, anyway, so... It's very delicate. I expected yeah. more from it. So if you were to be using this, say, as a finishing oil on a bowl of butternut squash soup, to me, the soup would overwhelm this yeah, oil. Correct, I, correct. I would only use it on very fresh young like maybe leaves. Maybe a piece Raw of fish. Uh, crudo or something yeah, like crudo. that. Crudo would be brilliant yeah. for this. Uh-huh. Okay, and the next one. This is the fanciest one from a price perspective, and it comes in this aluminum jar. And this one is $60 uh, from Domenica Fiori. And it does tell you that it's a novello on the label, and it's got the October harvest date, and it's got a little more punch to it. Yeah, for sure. It for definitely sure. has a beautiful personality, I think. It's very, it's very present. When you eat it, you have the first taste at the beginning that's really nice and olivey, and then the finishing, a little spiciness, delicateness, but it stays in your mouth. Mm, I know, it's oh. got length to it. So it's got a nice length to it, and it stays with you. I mean, uh, to me, all I can think about is just a little, uh, this, some of this, a little squeeze of, just a little squeeze of lemon, pepper, and then uh, salt, and then put that on top of endive. Right now in, yeah. in, the, in the winter salad, endive and some crunchy pears. Yeah, that would, would be, be nice. delicious. Well, I like the so here's the question, though, Chef. At $60 a pint compared to $10 a pint for the base olive oil, is it worth six times more? These kind of items in any parts of the world or any markets, or my philosophy about this is go with what your wallet can afford, but before you go jump to the most expensive, educate yourself about your palate. Because your palate, no matter how much money you have, might not be able to recognize how good the olive oil is or how exp- why is it so expensive. We have the means to buy expensive things without having Not actually, everyone does, though. That's no, why no. they listen to our show. That you're giving so that's them, one. Yeah. My point is, in that philosophy, you still need to have a knowledge of how you know, the, the things are. Now, if you can't afford it, I think the bottom one is perfectly fine. The right, Merlino the, the, the no mix of different regions. I think it's better than fine. I think it shows beautifully. I personally, the one in the middle, 
I would say if you have an issue with uh, how much it costs, definitely don't buy it. Yeah. Because it needs a very special, it's very focused. And I think it's uh, demanding a lot for the consumer part. I think uh, also, I've been buying olive oil for 40 some years, 50 years. Never noticed a Novello before. To me, it's a little bit of an incoming fad. A little bit like... Well, it started uh, a few years ago. Yeah, it, it's, yeah. Not, it's not new, but... Uh, I think there's a lot of olive oil, most vineyard olive oil, most winery olive oil is crushed and bottled immediately, like Felsina or Coltabono or any of those kind. I don't. I don't. I think there's a little marketing ploy here. No. Oh, for sure. I'm not, yeah. I'm not oh, yeah. falling there's for it. There's a little it. bit of romance. Yeah. No, exactly. of course there is a. There is definitely a romance associated. Another I think level. the lesson of the day, though, is just because it's expensive doesn't make it great. Not necessarily, no. All right. Pamela, you're going to lead our next segment because you are a big fan of Michael Pollan, uh, and he's got uh, a new podcast out that you'd like everyone to listen to. I would. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Here we are at the Hotel Andre in downtown Seattle. It's the Hot Stove Society show from the Hot Stove Kitchens, where we do tons of classes and we have a ball around here. What a great holiday season with so many corporate events, uh, people coming in and bringing their teams and enjoying cooking and hanging out with each other. Cooking and together and competing. We've, we've seen a lot of teams that get quite vicious. <laughs> they want to they win that rubber Merry Christmas, love. all right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and not just teams, but we've had weddings here and rehearsal dinners and all sorts of fun things happen here at the hot stove that's one of the great things about it is it's different every day when i try to describe hot stove uh this place to people i say it's a feel-good kitchen because that's what it is to me it feels good in here yeah makes you come in here and you're like oh yeah i want to cook it gets my uh, for for me also in the restaurants themselves you're in the kitchen there's a lot of people around and it's it's a little bit difficult to be creative this is a very creative kitchen because you've got space it's, uh, you've got in-between classes where it's absolutely quiet, right. and you can think. And this is where I do my TV work. It's where we do our radio show. Nope. It's, it's just a, it's a fun Diversified place, fun very place, diversified yeah. and nice. How are you all doing? How's our audience doing today? Everyone's good? Good. They uh, liked and- the breadsticks better than the olive oil. <laughs> <laughs> well, those were actually kind of fun breadsticks. Again, they had a lot of bicarbonate of soda, I believe, in them to give them that lightness that they... Uh, had okay, Michael Pollan, uh, you are enamored with this fellow. I uh, well, I, I got to say, I, I this is a sign of ignorance on my part. Is I just haven't been all that up on what he's done lately. You know, he made a big splash maybe ten years ago or so, maybe longer. And longer. then I have not kept up with him. So it's tell good. us uh, where Michael Pollan <laughs> he is. He took and a why side trip into psychedelics. So. Oh, did he? <laughs> <laughs> uh, trying to understand what uh, those Mushrooms. do to our to our mind. Yeah, but. What he is recognized for... And so can you just give me a little history on Michael Pollan to, 
Yes. Oh, yeah. Is that what you're doing? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, by taking you through the books, <clears throat> the books that he's most noted for. The most famous one is The Omnivore's Dilemma. Right. And that is what leads us to today's subject, which is intentional eating. Because his take is that we are supposed to be thinking about the food that we eat and the power that we have as consumers to influence food producers. So um, he wrote uh, Food Rules in Defense of Food, Omnivore's Dilemma. He even did uh, a kid's version of it, uh, The Botany of Desire, where he studied four different uh, produce products, uh, Second Nature. So he's a wonderful guide into thinking about our approach to food. But his newest project is on Masterclass. Does anybody have a subscription to Masterclass? I hear some fans back there. They, uh, it, it's a wonderful website that has attracted spectacular teachers, and it, they offer courses in short segments, usually 15 minutes. My favorite one is probably by Bob Igar, who traces how he built Disney. So they have leadership, they have politics, uh, but they've got a really big food and beverage section, and they have all the greats like Thomas Keller, Otolenge. Um, I don't think Terry and I are on there. Not yet. I'm oh. going to angle to get you there. <laughs> no, she said the greatest. Don't they know I'm a gravy god? <laughs> <The> greatest. <laughs> when I send them the picture of the necklace, I'm sure we could get on there. <laughs> I should get us right there. Um, but it, it's a tremendous resource, and there's a, a I've been talking with friends about things they've learned about cooking like thomas keller just does a segment on eggs it's incredible that i know you could do even better terry because you're no not better i think it's it's cool that he does a thing on egg yeah i think it's so very they, french but it's also very cool when Amer- american chefs start doing that because you know it crosses that bridge of yeah eggs are so useful man it's like if you get good eggs and you keep that in your fridge you can do so many things with that uh call talking about intentional eating that's where you start. You buy the good eggs to start with, and then you intentionally eat eggs in many different places of the day. Not the same day, obviously, but you, know, you can have eggs for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. That is an excellent example. So um, the, the segment, his series is... Did? An excellent <laughs> example? <laughs> you didn't even know it, did you? I didn't. Um, he, he calls the whole series Intentional Eating, And the point is that our choices for food should be backed up by knowledge about the food and how it's produced. And he breaks down uh, the food system in America by the four, four big groups, like the big industrial foods. What he is worried about is the Western diet, which is considered how we eat, being dominated by highly processed foods. With a lot of sugar, like this and dude flour. hates sugar and refined white white sugar and white flour, right? And it is the basis of so much of the majority of the grocery center grocery store shelves. So the second now that is um, growing, the second area of food sources that's growing dramatically are is what he calls the big organics, like the horizons. Uh, of earthbound the farms. Earthbound farms yeah. and all those. So those have come about as a result of consumer demand. Right. Because the uh, food producers release 
over 20,000 new products every year, and they change it by what the trends are they see in the supermarket. So that's how, you know, Earthbound and Horizon got such a big lift. But he he makes a fine point of distinction in saying that there's another level of organic that he calls regenerative. Mm -hmm. Because most, like, Earthbound... Horizon are all more monocropped, right. like the big industrial producers. So what um, he is advocating for looking at is farms that have multiple um, crops and are really caring about the soil. Yeah. Because the it's, soil is so critical. And also smaller farm. It's very important. So like most of the farms you see at our local farmer's market. What you see yeah. here up north in the Skagit Valley, what you see, um, you know, just north of Seattle, Boudinville and area and everything, just a few acres of land can generate so much food, you know, and, and it's only because when it's smaller and diversified and, you know, they do the natural rotation of the crops and everything, and you just have better product on your hand. You have a clean product. Yes. And the, for, the fourth group that he's um, also suggesting that you familiarize yourself to is what he calls the first person uh, farmers, right. farmers markets, and CSAs, so that you can know with great detail everything about the food that's being produced. So what I like about his class is that he puts forth a concept, right. but then he gives you an assignment uh, to work on um, starting. The first one was just keep track of what you're eating and what you're spending. Another example was grow some food. Get, put some dirt on the counter and get some microgreens growing to encourage that connectivity with your food. Uh, he makes a strong case. There's one whole segment on what you eat is the most important thing you can do for your health. Right. It's the most important. You, you were able to watch a couple of the episodes. Sure, sure. And um, what, what and was your biggest takeaway? My, my highest remark from him is you vote three times a day. By eating three times a day. Make your choices. Make your choices. By your values. That's how much power we have as humans is we vote three times a day. So that's a perfect takeaway. What yeah. a nice way to end it. Yeah. We, we have. Some of we, us vote more than that. <laughs> <laughs> Do the cookie, cookie breaks count? I don't yeah. know. Well, <laughs> yes, some of, us, some, of us, some of us just like voting. <laughs> All right. When we come back, Pamela's going to take us through uh, a little bit of knowledge on sparkling wine and maybe where to put your dollars this weekend for the big New Year celebration or even for the new year itself. Uh, on Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Turns out a little knowledge goes a long way in picking out your sparkling wine. And today on the Hot Stove Show, that's exactly what we're going to gain is a little bit of knowledge. Uh, Mike Tier is here from Pike and Western Wine Shop. Happens to be the other half of the Hinkley Tier oh, duo. my darling duo. husband. Yes, exactly. And uh, Mike, you have, um, you have brought a few examples of sparkling wine. First of all, why is it some sparkling wine and some is champagne? Great question to start with because not all sparkling wine is champagne. Champagne is a very 
protected region in France, and they go after, they protect their brand with vigor. Mm-hmm. Uh, a good example of that is when I started in the wine business, non-champagne producers could produce a wine using the same method as champagne and call it champagne method. Uh-huh. They stopped that. So you can't even say method champenois anymore no, either? No, okay. okay. Now it's method traditionnel. Okay. And we'll talk about that a little bit. So champagne comes from a very specific region of France made from Pinot Noir, Pinot Meunier, two red grapes, and Chardonnay primarily. There's a few exceptions here and there. But, and it's actually uh, undergone a lot of changes in the past 20, 25 years, uh, going to a more organic, small operator. There's still the big houses, and they produce lots of great champagne, but there's a lot of smaller family owned vineyards that have been around forever they often sold their grapes to the big houses so when you say big houses you're talking about people like Louvre Clicquot well, and- Moet Hennessy which is yeah. Louvre Clicquot Krug Moet yeah. I mean and uh, there's a few big companies that have multiple brands okay. and they buy from all over and blend these people tend to only make wines from grapes they grow or even sometimes buy from family members in their region and that's why they're called grower champagnes yes, yeah. yes. okay but that's only you know, the tip of the iceberg of, champ- of sparkling wine. So I brought examples of three different sparkling wines. I want to talk about the methods because I think that's super useful to know. Um, people often, why does Prosecco cost what it costs? Why does Champagne cost what it costs? And, and there's a lot of reasons for that. So um, the first wine you see here on the left, the black label, Prosecco. Most people know what Prosecco is. And it's, it's become the, the hottest seller in very very popular. Oh my god, it's unbelievable! And even within prosecco, there are now some um, interesting things happening. Uh, but first, let me talk about the method. Prosecco is made using what's called the Charmat method, and it's basically a tank fermentation. It's not fermented in the bottle. They ferment the grapes. Uh, the primary ferment is in an autoclave, and the second ferment they add a little sugar and must and. Uh, leave it in the tank for 3 to 12 months. So a pretty fast process. As a sideline, that Prosecco, not all Prosecco is created equal. The main region of Prosecco, Valdo, I always screw up this name, Valdo Bidiane, mm-hmm. is now going towards requiring organic certification to be, use that term because Prosecco could be planted, planted anywhere. The grapes, Glera grapes, could be planted anywhere. So there's the cheap Prosecco planted in the flatlands, this region where this wine comes from, it's all organic, biodynamic, hand-harvested, native yeast fermented. So they put a little more care into it. So it's a little bit more expensive than the uh, average Prosecco in the supermarket, but still under $20. Mm-hmm. The second method, and I think this is probably the hottest method right now, is, is called, uh, well, most people call it Petiant Natural, but it's Method Ancestral. And this is the original way of making sparkling wine. You'll see Pet Nat, you'll see... Uh, method ancestral, you see method original. Uh, what it means is the wine is fermented only in the bottle. They, they put it in the bottle while still fermenting. It hasn't so. completed its fermentation in tank. They add a little sugar to it and finish the fermentation in that bottle. So the sugar uh, is what causes the carbon dioxide, right? It, it causes the carbon dioxide. It's under crown cap, so it holds the bubbles in. Uh, the bubbles tend not to be quite as elegant as champagne bubbles because it's a faster process. You can use any grape you want. This one we have here is from Austria. It's a blend of Gruner, Veltliner, Riesling, and Pinot Blanc. Ooh, that you, sounds delicious. You can make pet, pet nat, as it's called now, from anything and from anywhere. So you'll see a lot of them on the market. What you'll often see, but not always, is it could be a little bit cloudy because some people don't 
remove the results of the fermentation. Like in Champagne, they remove the dead yeast cells uh, before they add the dosage and put the cork in. That isn't always the case with pet gnats. So depending on your predilection for cloudy wine or not, uh, you either stand the bottle up and just pour it till it turns cloudy. Some people shake it up and drink it that way. Or some people do ferment it. Uh, these are, like I said, quickly made wines. They're very fresh, very bright. They often have a little bit of residual sugar because the because there's no second fermentation, it doesn't ferment all the way to dryness, but not a lot. The acidity is usually plenty high, and they're meant to be festive and fun. Um, I find it, aside, I find it interesting that this method that is so fast and quick compared to champagne can often cost three-quarters of what a good bottle of champagne costs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now the champagne method, or method traditionnel, starts with a dry base wine. It's probably pretty acidic. You wouldn't want to drink it. They then put that in the, this bottle with a little sugar and yeast to start the fermentation. It uh, undergoes a fermentation, like with a pet gnat, in the bottle, but it's left in the bottle much, much longer. In this case, about 30 months. And it's not unusual in vintage champagnes to be in the bottle for anywhere from three to five years before they release it. So it's a much more laborious process, and the aging of champagne is where a lot of the cost is involved. Even with the grower champagnes and the, the big houses. Now, with the big houses, you're also paying for big marketing budgets, but, and less so here. But it's a very expensive. Everything's done by hand. Uh, when it, everything's done, when they want to uh, pop the cap and do the final dosage, they Massage have, being a little sugar water. It's a little sugar solution. And yeah. Sometimes they use must from the same grapes now. Right. Uh, but it, you can ad- adjust the wine. Now, some people use no dosage. Some people use very low, like two to six grams of sugar. And average is about eight. And it's still considered a brute. But you have to freeze the cap. So you lose a little wine. Use the dosage to fill it back up. And then you uh, put the cork on it. And even after that, they will often keep it for anywhere from... 12 to 24 months before they release it. So you're really paying for the aging, and you get a much more, I think, complex, rich, you get that yeasty, bread doughy quality, uh, longer uh, flavors, and really tiny, pers- uh, persistent bubbles. So they're all good in different ways, and I think they all have, like, Prosecco is so popular because I think it's light, fresh, easy to drink. Pet Nats Mixable. Are, mixable, yeah. yeah. And you never have Yeah, to, that's important to remind people the you know, if you do a Prosecco, it's easy to so orange juice or whatever you want to put in your, yeah. in your champagne or your sparkling. Get, yeah, and you don't even get need to Prosecco spend to $20 do on it. Buy a, uh, try to find a dry wine, a dry Prosecco or Cava from Spain. That right. make, uh, and use that for your blend, your yeah. base wine when mm-hmm. you're mixing. Don't We're, use great champagne for that. You're no, wasting exactly. your money. So what about the, the big California ones that are in the marketplace, like Cooks or Corbell? Or, are those they are all, doing are, – those are all fake kind of uh, – Charmat bulk process. Charmat, yeah. which means – Fermented in tank. In tank. Large quantities. Yeah. Then and they I, bottle it, and then I they add they, CO2, and then they put a cork and I, and, I, and I guarantee you they're adding a fairly high dosage because those are often fairly sweet. Right. And they're not aging them at all. No. Right. So that's why some people say, well, I don't get a headache when I drink good champagne, but if I drink too much Cooks, yeah. I felt terrible the next day. There's a lot of sugar involved oftentimes. Whereas there's very little sugar in, in the average quality champagne. Mm-hmm. And if it says zero dosage or, or no dosage, that means there's no added sugar and it's bone dry. And those are too dry for me. Some they of those. I they, bought some last year. Blanc de Blanc. They can be. Um, aging helps with that. Uh, what they call lees contact, leaving contact with the yeast. Uh, and also, um, 
I think that always used to be true with zero dosage champagnes. But with the warmer climate in Champagne, they're getting riper fruit than they've ever had in their history. So they're a little more generous now. But those wines will also age. A lot of people think you don't have no need to age Champagne. But you can age Champagne. It develops very nicely. When you get into the very high end, the Tete de Gouvets, the uh, Dom Perignons, the Roterer Cristals, speaking of marketing budgets, yes. uh, is it really worth the money to, to take that next step up? Up to a point. Um, there are some great smaller champagne producers that are hard to find. Uh, one particular one is Jacques Salos. Mm-hmm. His wines can range from 200 to $500 a bottle. I've only had the cheaper ones, but they're incredible. Mm-hmm. Dom is still reasonable, though we've seen big prices on Dom. And Dom Perignon, the last number I see, they make over half a million cases of Dom Perignon. <laughs> the other wine Tom mentioned, Louis Roder Cristal, is 100% from their own estate fruit, much smaller production. I'm sure Dom spills more than Roder makes of Cristal. But Cristal is getting very expensive. By next year, it'll be over $400 a bottle. Retail. Retail. Now, wow. Tom and I have, and Pamela have drunk many older bottles of Cristal because Tom and I were lucky enough to work for a gentleman that kept Cristal in his uh, warehouse. I drank Cristal at Rotorer. Yeah. yeah, and it was still expensive, but it's the, the luxury brands are really pushing the price point uh-huh. because the demand is there. Yeah. Right. You could get great champagne for 50 to $70, yeah. guaranteed. All right, go down and check out Mike's shop, uh, Pike Western Wine Shop. Uh, if you haven't been to an individual wine shop lately, if you're a grocery store buyer or Costco buyer or whatever, so be it. It is a, a, a revelation sometimes when you go into a wine shop that you've been to a couple of times and you get that hand-picked service because they understand who you are and what your palate is. You want to expand your education on anything related to liquids, go see Mike. There you go. Any wine liquids. Oh, wine liquids. Wine liquids, <laughs> exactly. Oh, I do have no a guy. Water. We don't sell spirits. Just, we're just wine. We're very focused. All right, up next, it's the Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Why do we never get an answer when we're knocking at the door? With a thousand million questions about hate and It's time for Food for Thought Tasty Trivia brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs made right here in Ballard at my warehouse in Ballard. They're an inspiration for international cuisines uh, of our favorite flavor profiles. Keep your pantry stocked with a nice assortment so you have a quick and easy way to augment your meals. You can look for us at local grocery stores like the Met Market, QFC here in Seattle, Market of Choice in Oregon, or the Fresh Markets in the Southeast. Uh, you can't find, if you can't find what you need in your area, please visit our, our website, or you can go down to Seatown. You know, we have two places that have all the different products that we make. Seatown, there in the market area, uh-huh. and here at the Hot Stove. There's no excuse. At TomDouglas.com. All right. We're going to play some trivia. Becky Guzak is our guest MC for the trivia today. Uh, the idea is that uh, we each get five questions. Uh, the person who gets the most questions correct uh, has the fame and glory for the rest of their days. And uh, the person who is our guest, Nick, who was on the show earlier about the chili, it gets to pick from his crew... Uh, the winner of our three-pack of spice rubs, your choice of the combination. 
Okay, Becky, are you ready? I'm ready. It's going to be a fun one. It's themed with New Year's traditions, trends, and resolutions. Wow. Okay, Terry, you want to go first so that Nick knows how this game is played? Resolution is what I heard. Okay, I'm going to go with that. (laughs) Okay, Terry, let's go. First one's multiple choice. Instead of celebrating with fireworks on New Year's Eve, which country's people prefer to smash plates on the doorways of their dearest friends and family for good luck? You've got Greece, Denmark, or Argentina? Uh, I'm going to go with Argentina. Close. Not even. Uh, no. It's probably Denmark. Denmark. That's as far, yep. as, as, far as it can they go. They must have a lot of China factories up there in Denmark. I was thinking exactly. fruit. I'm like, who's got fruit in the winter? But no. Okay. I was thinking about it too much. Which islands celebrate the new year by popping firecrackers to ward off evil spirits, eating noodles, which symbolizes longevity, cleaning so they don't carry their old life into the new, one, new year, and for some, some local families, pounding mochi? I'm going to go Japan. Hawaiian Islands. That's why I was t- that some was the little clue. Is bacalao a spice, a dish, or a cooking technique? It's a dish made with uh, salted cod. Awesome. And it from is Portugal. From Portugal, okay. And it's also a New Year's staple in Mexico. The largest bottle of champagne is called a Melchizedek. How many standard bottles of champagne is equivalent to a Melchizedek? Did I say it right, Tom? Yeah. Melchizedek. I don't know. Oh. Sure, go ahead. Um, how many? I bought a big one for my daughter's wedding, and it was 25 bottles. I'm not sure what the largest one is, though. Right. And you had to make a contraption. To, I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah you Fine. need to have something to hold it, for sure. Well, would you like some options? Yes. 24, 40, or 100 bottles. Holy smokers, that's a big I'm bottle. I'm going to go with 40. You are correct. And it oh. weighs 143 pounds and is 40 inches tall. Yeah. Oh. Nice. A lot, of, a lot of bubbles. Okay, hey, last one. Final question. Every year, eating healthier tops New Year's resolution lists. How might you take an ordinary New Year's Day brunch and make it extraordinary and healthier? All I'm right. going to make probably a giant winter salad That's with endive, win. radicchio, pomegranate seeds, and uh, some olive oil. Four out of five. Excellent. All right. All right, Nick, you're up. Okay, Three. Nick. Julius Caesar was the first to set January 1 as the start of a new year. Is it true or false that it was customary for Romans to celebrate over a big feast that included a salad named after the emperor? False. Way to go, Nick. <laughs> I was trying to trick you, but it was really, uh, it was re- reportedly invented by a man named Caesar Cardini in 1924 in Tijuana. Right, yeah. Did you know that? I did. That's impressive. <laughs> okay. Multiple choice. Across much of, the, much of the world, oysters are an iconic New Year's food tradition. Which country is the top producer and consumer of oysters at New Year's celebrations? U.S., France, or Japan? France. You got it. I was going to give you a hint. You need it. <laughs> Speaking of oysters, what are chicken oysters? Chicken oysters? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're in the thigh of, it's in a chicken, so it's in the, the thigh part, the back part of the chicken. Mm-mm. Perfect. Right? Yep. Yeah. It's, well, it's, it's actually yeah, on the, the back. Part, right? yeah. the back. Yeah. Right. But it's, it's also called, also known as the chef's reward for cooking. Right. Yeah. Yep. Why is that, though? Because a lot of times they're just left on the back, and yeah. especially by home cooks, they don't mm-hmm. know any better, and it's just so delicious. It's, it's always there most, as a little chef it's, treat. It's the most tender part Fatty, of the whole right. animal, uh, and it's also, um, I mean, I, it looks like an oyster. So. Right, no, I, I break chickens all the time, so yeah, I was wondering. Okay. According to Google US, what has been the most searched for cocktail in 2022? Aperol spritz. You got it. Yep. No way. Yeah. yeah. I would have guessed Negroni. Followed by espresso martini and dirty Shirley. Is there something you're looking forward to experimenting with in your kitchen in the new year? 
Uh, yes, uh, more fermentation. Oh, nice. Uh, I think that's something I really want to dive into. Um, just building a pantry, you know, uh, preserves, oils, um, fermentations, you know, pickle and vinegars. Yeah. Uh, just, to, just to build a pantry so you can pick from it and have your own style and have your own flavor. Fun. Love yeah. it. Sounds Good great. Good stuff for your Thank guts, you. too. All right, yeah. is that five for five? Thank you. Terry's five for five. 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 Okay. I'm a little sick of our guests kicking our butt. Well, also, Pamela's been a little tough on you. I've yeah. noticed she doesn't yeah. give you multiple choice or true no, false. So no. I'm going to give you a little... This is my good friend that I met in 1980 yeah. that <laughs> treats me this way. Yeah. Okay. As the clock strikes midnight, which country's revelers smash pomegranates in their doorways, imagining that the number of juicy seeds that spew out correlate to the amount of abundance they can expect in the new year? There's two countries, and you only need one to win. Well, a lot of pomegranates are grown in the Middle East... So I'm going to say the Middle East countries. Lebanon. Lebanon? Is that what you're saying? I would say Lebanon. Okay. Let's go with Iran then. Oh, Turkey and Greece. Turkey and Greece, yeah. Multiple choice. Nothing like a Greece turkey. (laughs) That's funny. According to Google US, what has been the most searched for recipe of 2022? Air fryer cheesecake, sugo, which is Italian tomato sauce, or cauliflower mac and cheese? Boy, sadly, it's probably the first one. No, nope. maybe your daughter looked that one up. Yeah, she yeah. loves the, she loves her air fryer. <laughs> yeah, no, it's actually sugo. I hadn't heard of it. So the first one was sugo, followed by Cincinnati chili and Marry Me Chicken. I hadn't heard of any. You know, of for them. years on all recipes, mac and cheese was the number one really? re- search recipe. Yeah. What is the name of the slightly nutty tasting vanilla scented purple yam from the Philippines that the New York Times just predicted will be tuber of the year in 2023? Jeez, Louise! I hope they're right. It doesn't yeah. taste like Old Bay seasoning. It doesn't. Uh, doesn't taste like Old Bay. So old uh, Okinawa. Ube. Ube. That's ube. right. <laughs> no, you can get Ube vodka now. All sorts of delicious Ube products. Sounds yeah. nice. Yeah, it's purple, right? Purple. Yeah, it's yep. like yep. an Okinawa yep. sweet potato. Yeah, right. exactly. Uh, multiple choice, which is not a traditional New Year's food associated with abundance in the New Year: black-eyed peas, crab and lobster, or a dozen grapes. Uh, crab and lobster. I have no idea. You are right. Crab and lobsters are considered bad luck as they move sideways instead of forward. <laughs> what is a memorable, memorable dish you enjoy during the holidays, and how might you elevate it while making it healthier? Well, my grandmother's schnecken, which mm. is like a, a little cinnamon roll pull apart, and I elevated it by adding more butter and more eggs, <laughs> egg yolks to it, so you have more of a brioche um, uh-huh. dough, and it's unbelievably good. Uh, and healthy. Only for five hours. Oh. Yeah, because and that's why it's healthy, because after five hours, you have to throw it away. And then you don't eat it at all. There you go. If you haven't eaten it all already. Thank you, Becky Guzak, for jumping in on trivia. If you want to be part of the show, you can join the community on YouTube Live on our Tom Douglas and Company channel. You're listening to us uh, on Cairo Radio. The show is produced by Pamela Inkley. Guest producer, Becky Guzak, Sean McFadden, and our editor is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. Remember, if you miss any episode of the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can listen uh, via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Happy New Year, and thank you for listening all year round.